0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Thursday, January 26th, 2023. It's been 3,256 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 337 days since the large scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative except on the Solidar bakhmut axis. Second, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective and continues to use World War II tactics that Field Marshal Georgi Zhukov would recognize to move the line of conflict. Third, We maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin will continue. Fourth, regrettably, our assessment that there would be a punitive missile strike after the announcement of military aid to Ukraine was accurate, with the ongoing attack coinciding with the German and United States announcements of providing main battle tanks to Ukraine— which we previously anticipated would come between January 19th and 21st. Fifth, we further assess that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Sixth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the deenergization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Seventh, we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023, which may have already started after a statement made by Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov. Eighth, we assess that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is extremely unlikely. And finally, we assess that the threat of a Russian amphibious or airborne assault on Odessa is negligible. Let's get some regional updates, starting in the Donbass region with Luhansk. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that fighting continued to be light and positional along the entire axis. On the Svatova axis, positional battles continued on the eastern edge of Novoselivsky, with Ukrainian and Russian forces trading artillery strikes. On the Kremina axis, a reliable Ukrainian source reported that positional fighting continued in Ploshanka, Chervonopopivka, and near Kremina. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and Russian millblogger Vysoky Govorit reported there was mutual shelling along the entire line of conflict, with NASA fire information for resource management systems, or firms, validating their reports. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, did what they do and ignored operational security, called OPSEC, providing three detailed battle damage assessments after HIMARS rocket attacks on Kremina and Rubizhne. It all started on January 23rd in Kremina, where Mercenaries with Private Military Company, or PMC Wagner Group, also broke OPSEC by publishing selfies outside a music school they were using as a barracks. Well, the LNR-JCCC reported that the area was hit by six rockets yesterday, with photographs showing the building was obliterated. In Robizhne, a HIMARS strike destroyed a hotel, and a second attack hit the bus station, a thermal plant that provides heat and hot water, and several surrounding buildings. And, of course, detailed photos of the effectiveness of the attacks were published online. On the Lusachansk axis, fighting continued near Bilohodivka, the one in Luhansk, with Serhii Haidai, Luhansk oblast administrative and military governor, reporting that Ukrainian forces hold the initiative. In northeast Donetsk, on the Siversk axis, there was renewed fighting near Spirna, according to mercenaries with Wargonzo. The GSAFU reported that fighting continued in Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, with no change to the situation. The Russian advance failed, with a video showing the destruction of four BMP-2 Infantry Fighting Vehicles, or IFVs, and a BTR-82A Armored Personnel Carrier, or APC. On the Solodar axis, Ukrainian forces appear to have maintained their defensive lines. Operational Command East Commander Serhiy Cherevati reported that all Ukrainian forces had been withdrawn from Solodar to, quote, preserve human life, end quote. PMC Wagner made the first capture claim 13 days ago with numerous Russian reports, pictures, and videos indicating that pockets of resistance, special operation forces, or SOF, DRG, and sniper teams were still operating in the town. A Russian video in Solidar showed that the settlement is completely destroyed, confirming the assessment of Denis Pushilin, the self-declared leader of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR. We encourage you to watch the video to understand the scope of the devastation. We do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. PMC Wagner continued their attempts to advance on Drozdolivka from Krasnopolivka and continued to be unsuccessful. Fighting for control of Blahudatne and Krasnohora continued, with no change in the situation. On the Bakhmut axis, fighting continued on the city's northern, northeast, east, and southern edges pmc Wagner forces attempted to advance from Pythorotne toward Paraskovivka, but couldn't break through Ukrainian defenses. Mercenaries with Rybar reported that fighting continued around the meatpacking plant, with no change in territorial control. A geolocated video released by Russian state media agency Zvezda News indicated that Ukrainian forces made marginal gains back into Opitne, which likely explains why there have not been any claims of further Russian advances from the south for over a week. We adjusted the map based on the updated intelligence. In our assessment, the advance was positional and did not represent a larger Ukrainian counteroffensive. South of Bakhmut, a geolocated video showed that PMC Wagner had crossed the canal southwest of Klitscheivka and established new positions. There were unconfirmed reports that Ukrainian forces had been pushed out of the highlands to the west of the settlement, but a week after PMC Wagner claimed they had captured the town, there are still no pictures or videos. Some assessment here. If Ukrainian forces are pushed out of their strong points west of Klishivka, it'll complicate the defense of Ivanovsky and the T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a gloc that's a supply line, which supports Bakhmut. There continues to be a lack of verifiable intelligence in the area, with numerous false claims by Russian social media sources complicating assessment. Several analysts have suggested that PMC Wagner has exhausted its combat power by capturing Solidar, citing that as a key reason for the slowing advance. But Wagner still has a pool of over 300,000 convicts in Russian penal colonies to recruit from and can provide additional enticement with a handful of success stories from former convicts who survived long enough to receive their pardons. We are not prepared to bet against Wagner's ability to reconstitute. In southwest Donetsk, on the New York axis, elements of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR continued their attacks on Novobakhmutivka without success. On the Avdievka axis, DNR separatists continued their attempts to advance on the Ukrainian stronghold in Krasnohorivka, also without success. DNR separatists continued to shell the center of Avdiivka and nearby Ukrainian positions. A geolocated video indicated that Ukrainian forces recaptured defensive positions at the former anti-aircraft site in Spartak, which the 1st Army Corps captured on September 11th. We adjusted the map based on the new intelligence. DNR separatists reportedly recaptured Vodyana, with Russian mill blogger Boris Rojin writing why it's more likely the town will remain a no-man's land. Because Vodyana lies in a valley surrounded by empty fields, Ukrainian forces retreated to the northern edge, attacking Russian forces from higher terrain. Rojin shares the same assessment we've made about Avdiivka. Due to a lack of personnel, armored vehicles and close air support, as well as low-quality military intelligence, operational success can't be turned into a tactical victory citing the failure to advance from Pisky as an example of this problem. Rojin's assessment goes on to take a swipe at the Russian Ministry of Defense, writing that PMC Wagner would be more successful, but lacks sufficient numbers to expand beyond Solidar and Bakhmut. Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces were attacking from Pervomaisky, but did not indicate the direction of the attack or the outcome. So that's helpful. On the Marinka axis, positional fighting continued in the city center. On the Volodar axis, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Khodakovsky, commanding officer of the Vostok Brigade of the DNR 1st Army Corps, reported a large-scale offensive had been launched by his unit. Other Russian sources minimized the DNR's role, claiming the reconstituted Russian 155th Guards Naval Infantry was leading the offensive. Lieutenant Colonel Khodakovsky wrote on Telegram, quote, The pace of our progress slowed down towards evening. The enemy pulled up reserves and increased resistance, with our artillery suppressing them. The infantry is regrouping. Our losses are significantly lower than the first day of the offensive on Pavlivka, but there are no pronounced results yet. Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Anna Malyar reported The enemy increases pressure on the Vulidar area. Heavy fighting continues. He throws a significant number of personnel, weapons, and military equipment into battle, trying to break through our defenses, suffers significant losses, but does not abandon his plans. End quote. Geolocated video from Russian sources showed Ukrainian positions being attacked with TOS-1 thermobaric rockets north of the Kashlahat River, in the same area of daches between Mikilske and Pavlivka that DNR separatists claimed they captured yesterday. The Russian MOD only reported that the Vostok Brigade was able to advance to, quote, more advantageous lines and positions, end quote. Volodar was constantly shelled, including with tos one thermobaric weapons. Russian forces are repeating their tactics of destroying an area until nothing worth defending is left. Rybar dismissed Russian social media claims that there was fighting in Volodar. The People's Militia of the DNR shared a thermal image video of the Vostok Brigade firing grad rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, on Ukrainian positions somewhere on the axis. At least one rocket hits a vehicle or a small ammunition cache, causing a secondary explosion. Some assessment here. Unlike the claims from Russian collaborator Vladimir Rogov about the Zaporizhia offensive, DNR separatists and Russian forces are making another attempt to capture Vulitar. After the second day, the available intelligence indicates that there has been very little success. Our team was surprised to learn that Russian forces did have territorial control north of the Kashlahatch River before the current offensive. In Russian-occupied Horlivka, an electrical substation was destroyed, knocking out power to 124,000 households. It is the second major transformer farm Ukrainian forces have targeted in the Donbas this week. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on both sides of the Dnipro in Kherson, with Russian forces firing 52 times into free Ukraine, with 12 strikes on the city of Kherson, killing three and wounding six. Russian forces targeted residential areas, civilian infrastructure, and the river port, with more information in the war crimes and human rights segment. The Turkish-flagged bulk carrier Tuzla was hit by a missile on January twenty-fourth, destroying the bridge and superstructure. The vessel has been docked in Kherson since February twenty-fourth, when Russia launched its wide-scale invasion and had no crew on board. Bereslav was shelled, accounting for two of the three fatalities pictures showed significant damage in Novakohovka after the Russian-occupied town east of the Dnipro was heavily shelled overnight. In Zaporizhia on the Juliopola axis, Russian forces attempted to advance on Cherivne using reconnaissance in force and were unsuccessful. Although the GSAFU reported this was in Donetsk, we believe that was an error in their report based on additional information from Russian sources. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, PMC Wagner target, and failed MOBIC, Igor Gherkin Strelkov, wrote off the Zaporizhia offensive. On Telegram, he accurately reported no meaningful updates to support Rogov's earlier claims. Russian forces struck the Pavlivka Hromada in Zaporizhia with S 300 anti aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, damaging critical electrical infrastructure. There was no other information at the time of recording. Based on available information, there is still no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and no reports that the power lines that supply the facility were de-energized. Rosatom is struggling to maintain staffing levels after denying entry to up to 1,500 Enerkoatom workers who refused to sign contracts with the Russian state-controlled enterprise. The Russian company is trying to recruit up to 150 engineers and technicians from Belarus to work at the ZNPP after recruitment efforts in the Russian Federation failed. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv and Odessa region, the composition of the Black Sea fleet changed yet again with 11 ships on patrol, including four missile carriers capable of launching up to 28-caliber cruise missiles. At the time of recording, there were reports of at least four caliber cruise missiles launched at Ukraine this morning. Deputy Chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, Dmitry Medvedev, told reporters that, quote, the Kiev regime will soon have no access to the sea, end quote. The chances of Russia launching an amphibious or airborne troop assault on Odessa or any other coastal area of Ukraine is never zero, but it is very close. The chances of any such offensive operation being successful are also not zero, but even closer. Odessa Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Yuri Kruk reported that two critical electrical infrastructure facilities had been damaged by Russian cruise missiles this morning. The power grid was de-energized before the attack to prevent additional damage the Odessa region was already struggling to maintain enough electrical generation capacity to support critical infrastructure. The attack today may cause a tipping point in the ability to provide the minimum amount of power required for communications, drinking water, transit, hospitals, and other vital civilian services. In western and central Ukraine, Sergey Borzov, Vinnytsia Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Ukrainian air defenses were active with reports of explosions in the region. At the time of recording, there was a report of one missile strike with no casualties. In Dnipropetrovsk, debris from a Shahed-136 Kamikaze drone that was shut down struck a factory with its warhead still intact. No one was killed, but the impact caused significant damage. We won't be able to compile and verify the details of today's missile attack on Ukraine for today's episode. However, here's what we know. 55 cruise missiles were launched, 46 of them by aircraft, and 9 caliber cruise missiles from the Black Sea Fleet. 47 of them were successfully shot down. That's 90%. In north and northeast Ukraine, Air defenses were able to shoot down all 15 Shahed-136 drones that entered the Kiev region yesterday, with no damage or injuries reported. The mayor of Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko, said one person was killed and two wounded this morning in the Holosievsky district of Kiev after debris landed on a non-residential building. Klitschko also verified an explosion in the Dnieper district, but had no other information at the time of recording. Outside the city, Andriy Nebetov, chief of police of the Kiev Oblast, reported that missile debris from downed Russian cruise missiles and air defense were found in several locations. There were no reports of injuries or fatalities. An update from the Kiev Regional Military Administration stated a critical energy facility was hit by a Russian missile during this morning's attack. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Mouth News. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Yesterday, Ukrainian air defenses shot down all 25 Shahed 136 drones that entered the nation's airspace the first 100% success rate of the war for a medium-sized attack. Before today's missile strike started, insurgents in Mariupol reported a sharp increase in activity at the Primorsky-Axar airfield, with frequent sonic booms over the city. The Russian VKS is flying missions with two or three aircraft, with one firing at ground targets and the other plane, or planes, providing combat air patrol and suppress-and-destroy enemy air defense support. Well, once again, it has been zero days since someone in the Russian government threatened nuclear war. Konstantin Gavrilov, head of the Russian delegation at the talks in Vienna on military security and arms control, said the, quote, Delivery of Western-made depleted uranium, or DE, shells to Kiev will be regarded by Moscow as the use of dirty nuclear bombs, end quote. And warned that if Ukraine is supplied with DE munitions, quote, we will consider this the use of dirty nuclear bombs against Russia with all the ensuing consequences. End quote. The Russian Federation, and almost certainly Ukraine, is already using 115mm and 125mm DE rounds fired by the T-62, T-64, T-72, T-80, and T-90 tanks. Quick sidebar. I would like to remind everyone that Russian forces dug trenches and cut down trees for firewood in the Red Forest, a radioactive forest in the Chernobyl Exclusion Zone. Just wanted to make sure that everyone remembered that. Kremlin-backed hacker group Killnet launched a series of distributed denial-of-service, or DDoS, attacks on Germany, targeting airports and the intelligence service of the Bundestag. There were only minimal disruptions. During an address to the nation, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said, Today is a day of extremely good news for Ukraine. There is a tank coalition. There is a decision to launch the supply of tanks for our defense, modern tanks. I thank all of our allies for their willingness to provide us with modern and much-needed tanks. All this proves the most important fact for the world right now, the fact that freedom is only getting stronger. And the way we are all working together to strengthen freedom, to defend Ukraine and Europe, is a historic achievement of the leaders who are working now. End quote. United States President Joe Biden announced that Ukraine would receive $400 million in military aid, including 31 M1 Abrams tanks, eight M88 repair and recovery vehicles, and 120 millimeter and quote, other ammunition. Germany announced during the early morning hours of January 25th that they would approve third-party transfers of Leopard 2 MBTs and would provide Ukraine with 14 Leopard 2 A26 tanks within the next three months. While all commitments are unknown, it is estimated that Germany, Poland, Portugal, Spain, Norway, Finland, the Netherlands, and Canada will provide an estimated 80 A-24, A-25, and A-26 Leopard 2 tanks. Norway confirmed they would be transferring tanks, while Canada had not yet reached a decision at the time of recording. Sweden announced they had not ruled out sending Stridsvagn 122 MBTs to Ukraine, while French officials were inching closer to not sending Leclerc tanks. The already pledged French AMX-10 RC tank destroyers, armored scout vehicles or light tanks, will arrive in Ukraine in February, with the training of Ukrainian troops in their maintenance and operation almost complete. President Zelensky discussed with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg the further consolidation of partner support, expanding the tank coalition, and unlocking access to new types of weapons. During their virtual meeting, they also covered the necessary steps for Ukraine to integrate further into NATO. Slovakia announced that the nation would not transfer Leopard 2 MBTs to Ukraine, adding, quote, with the necessary support from Western countries, end quote, they can send up to 30 Soviet-era T-72 tanks that are combat-ready tomorrow. Slovakian officials also indicated they were open to discussing the transfer of 11 airworthy MiG-29 fighter planes, which they retired on August 27, 2022. Hints and discussions about providing Ukraine with fourth-generation fighter planes were intensifying. Lockheed Martin COO Frank St. John said the manufacturer of F-16s is increasing production at the Greenville, South Carolina factory, quote, to reach a level where we can effectively support any country that decides to transfer aircraft to third parties, End quote. Any transfer of F-16s or other warplanes, such as the F-15 Strike Eagle, would require approval from the White House. A bipartisan group of U.S. senators appealed to President Biden to transfer fighter aircraft and longer-range missiles to Ukraine without further delays. Media reports in Poland claim that the nation supplied Ukraine with MiG-29s by disassembling the aircraft and shipping them as spare parts. During the same period, Germany transferred a significant amount of its Cold War-era MiG-29 parts to Ukraine— which the nation gained when East and West Germany went through reunification. Ukraine submitted an order to purchase 11 additional susana 255 155mm self-propelled howitzers, or SPGs. The Susana-2 is produced in Slovakia, and eight were provided in 2022. Ukraine signed a second contract for 16 to be shipped in 2023. Germany will deliver another 10,000 Starlink terminals to Ukraine in February, expanding Internet coverage for civilians, commerce, and the military. Turkish company Baykar transferred two Bedakhtar TB2 reconnaissance drones to Ukraine. During the opening months of the war, the TB2 was highly effective because of Russia's inability to establish effective air defenses. Now, coastal surveillance missions are their primary use. In its latest aid package to Ukraine, Austria provided 33 electrical generators, valued at 91,000 euros. Do you remember when we reported that a herd of camels had escaped in Ukraine? I recapped the story in our January 7th episode, and we joked that maybe they were secret weapon biolab-raised camels. It was a joke, right? Well, in Omsk, Russia, a man died after being kicked in the head by a camel. On the very same day, another Russian man in Bataysk, Russia, was severely injured after being bitten by a camel he was harassing. Now, we're not saying this was a Special Operation Camel Force NATO Biolab Division exercise, but we're not, not saying it either. Speaking of harassing things, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Our favorite FSB colonel Strelkov is in another social media spat. After several jabs at PMC Wagner, an unnamed representative of Wagner called Strelkov, quote, a sofa expert, thanks to which we have to recapture those cities that were surrendered in 2014. As for his insulting phrases concerning PMC Wagner, Strelkov behaves like the last coward and scoundrel. He makes his statements from a warm studio and not at the front. End quote. Bizarrely, Strelkov declared he was innocent. Not for the downing of Flight MH17, he boldly declared sole ownership for that today in a different telegram post. Rather, he claimed that he had never criticized Wagner or its fighters. Well, mmm, well. So on January 23rd, Strelkov compared Wagner, named after Hitler's favorite musical composer, to neo-Nazis, pointing out the death's head on their logo. Then, on January 24th, Strelkov mocked Prigozhin's request to the state Duma to expand the so-called don't-say-war laws to protect his private military company from defamation. Just earlier in the day, Strelkov took another veiled swipe at Prigozhin's company, writing about how certain mill bloggers would respond after Russia's defeat in Ukraine. When he reached his thoughts on Vladlen Tatarsky, he wrote, quote, But we, the Wagner's, don't give a damn. We'll kill everyone and rob everyone anyway, End quote. In breaking news, as the team was finishing the situation report, PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin invited Strelkov to join Wagner's mercenaries in Ukraine. Girkin said he would consider the proposal, with Prigozhin putting multiple conditions on the offer. Strelkov would be moved to Luhansk in a frontline line meatwave assault group to prove his capabilities. This is giving some serious horror movie vibes. Whatever you do, Strelkov, don't go into the basement. The New York Times analyzed satellite pictures of the PMC Wagner owned cemetery in Baku Krasnodor Krai Federal District in Russia. In the last 60 days, the cemetery grew by 700%. There are reports within Russia that Wagner Group is having a difficult time replacing losses in their penal units. Disgraced former Marine American Paul Whelan who remains in a Russian penal colony convicted on espionage charges, told his brother that inmates are increasingly aware of what is happening to penal units and are refusing the offer to receive a pardon by fighting in Ukraine. In a recent recruiting attempt at the facility where Whalen is held, only eight volunteered to join Wagner. 115 signed up during the first recruiting mission. New attempts to recruit convicts were happening in occupied Ukraine, with representatives visiting the Crimean Correctional Colony Number no. 1 in Simferopol, A video showed three Russian soldiers detained in an open pit in occupied Zaporizhia, covered by a grate made of logs and weighed down by tubs of soil. The soldiers claimed they had been there for two and a half days, accused of a, quote, violation, and had not been fed in 24 hours. Another claimed he told his commander that he was sick and needed a doctor to see him, and the request was denied. When he asked his commander what he should do, the imprisoned soldier claimed he was told to, quote, die. Quick assessment here. This is a really great way to build esprit de corps, build trust in military command's abilities, and motivate troops to act selflessly. Just kidding, it's terrible. In Mariupol, Russian mobiks stationed in the city and the surrounding towns have started trading their so called dry rations to the underfed residents for homemade moonshine again. Under the leadership of General of the Army Sergei Serovyakin, a crackdown on the use of alcohol and drugs was implemented to improve discipline, which was having a material impact. There was no information if the troops trading their rations were clean shaven or had perfect haircuts. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. In Kramatorsk, a Russian S 300 anti aircraft missile used for a ground attack struck a hospital, causing significant damage. In Kherson, just hours after neonatal incubators that the residents of Odessa had crowdsourced for premature babies were delivered to a hospital's ICU, the prenatal clinic and neonatal ICU were destroyed by a Russian artillery strike. The Russian Federation government liquidated the Moscow Helsinki Group, the oldest human rights organization in Russia. Created during the Soviet era in 1976, the Moscow City Court claimed the organization had violated 11 laws, including monitoring courts, participating in online events, and contacting government agencies. Okay, but wouldn't those be some of the core duties of a human rights organization? In economic news... The ruble was unchanged, with an official exchange rate of 69 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices increased, with WTI crude rising to $81 a barrel and Brent climbing to $87. Russian Ural's crude declined to $58 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market dropped to $2.60 a gallon, or 69 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures continued to drop, falling to 56 euros per megawatt hour for February and 57 euros for March 2023 delivery. Chicago SRW wheat futures were unchanged at $7.45 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe everyone.